Hey, I'm Alan McGuire. And I'm Sarah Griffin. And this is Juvenalia, a podcast where we talk to an interesting person about a bit of pop culture that was important to them when they were young. It's episode two of Boovenalia. Spooky season is upon us and we are doing a weekly episode for the month of October. And we have a very special guest with us, illustrator Megan Highland. Welcome to the show. Hello. Long time listener, first time caller. It's very exciting <laughs> to be here. This is fantastic. What are you going to talk to us about today? I'm going to talk to you about the seminal early 2000s film, Donnie Darko. Yes. I, I should flag that this film was my personality for second and third year of college, probably first year of college as well. Fifth year so. of secondary school for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It came to us all at an important yeah. time. Um, looking back on it is really, really something else. But I also think so, some parts of it fall and some parts of it really hold up. Definitely. I feel like it was definitely ahead of its time and everybody knew it back then and it's just become more apparent now. Sure. I guess for anybody who wasn't around then and hasn't seen Donnie Terrico, um, which I think is probably not many of our listeners, yeah. but what's a quick summary of what happens in of what it's about? Well, Donnie Darko follows 16-year-old Jake Gyllenhaal, also known as Donnie Darko, as he sleepwalks. And after one night of sleepwalking, he follows a six-foot-tall man in a bunny suit called Frank, who tells him the world is going to end in 28 days, 6 hours, 42 minutes and 12 seconds. After that night, we follow him over the next month, coming up towards Halloween. It's all based in October. And it's him kind of unraveling what's happening and like you're trying to figure out like is he hallucinating is he actually crazy or is he going to try and save the world and figure out a way to time travel and fix everything it's pretty much on the mo- that, that's actually a very <laughs> succinct yeah. description of a really weird movie um i cannot wrap my head around jake jill and i was a 16 year old no like he has such mid-30s face like Completely. god help him like it's just not it's it's he he doesn't play a particularly likable character per se. He's sort of a bit of a Holden Caulfield. Oh, for sure. But yeah, he's yeah. also he's going through it because our kind of inciting incident is that out of the sky, as if from nowhere, an airplane propeller falls not only onto the Darko household but onto Donnie's uh, into Donnie's bedroom. Um, but thankfully, Frank the talking rabbit has led him away just in time. And he cheats death. He cheats death. Yeah. So. Uh, so much of it is about that notion of like being pulled away by the the magical mm. rabbit who is awful looking. Yeah, I love the creepy mask. Like, it's so gross. I feel like no, there's no cinema now that would like approach <laughs> something <laughs> as really deeply unpleasant as Frank's face. Like he still, he still looks bad. He still feels bad. Like he's gross. I will admit that um, after watching this film and making it my personality that I did make like bunny uh, skull and crossbones my thing for a while and just drawing them everywhere going so far as to screen print it on a navy pole neck because I couldn't find black cutting up the arms putting in safety pins and rocking that up to hang out with the skaters on the steps that's that is very Mm -hmm. that's real mid 2000s vibes very yeah yeah, yeah. that's a very very powerful aesthetic so what was it about the film that, that I mean like I know what took you in because it's really fucking cool. But what was it? <laughs> what, let's, like, but what what was it that pulled you in? I think that the movie found me in the same way it found a lot of people because like nobody saw it in the cinema. Like it barely made it to the cinema because it was a week after a nine eleven that actually premiered, and because there's like a plane falling out of the sky, oh they didn't want to touch it. And also because after it premiered in Sundance, like it was, there was a teenager with a gun, and it was just after Columbine, so it was mm-hmm. that weird, touchy time where like. 
it was kind of like kind of cursed from the get-go that nobody wanted to actually have this movie exist out in the world and then it just found a new life on DVD yeah. and it was because I was at a friend's house and they're like have you seen this movie it's one of those ones that you get secondhand in GameStop and it's like everyone's been going on about it might as well check it out yeah the only reason I got to see it was my best friend's sister worked in Tower Records ah. and she was like sort of warden of the cool shit and that was one of the the cool shit you find it by a de- oop just punched the mic there sorry about that this probably sounds awful um, that's probably how you found it as well by a DVD right Al no I saw it in the cinema what, what? Yeah. Hey, how words. so it the first thing I saw of it was just a, one still in like select magazine where it was like there's this film in America called Donnie Darko and it was just Donnie Gretchen and Frank in the cinema love that shot that amazing shot I was like okay I need to see this film wherever it comes out and then so I was in college in Cork and so it would have been or late 2002 probably and it was in the Kino in Cork the independent cinema and it was the first time everyone see it on my so own because nobody else would go wow. that's a vibe and I wow. literally I almost stumbled out of the cinema afterwards yeah my head had been just exploded I can't and, imagine I, I still remember like the walk home from the cinema after seeing Danny Darko oh my god just I felt like I need to know everything about this film Whenever it was the first time I ever went to like researching a film afterwards yeah. and googling like Donnie Darko explains you yeah, know I can't imagine what yeah. seeing it by yourself felt like but part of the joy is seeing it with people completely and reeling and in the what the fuck of what is going yeah, on yeah and trying and to figure out and decipher what just happened because like you're left afterwards going with you're, it doesn't even have like a very concrete conclusion you're kind of like left wondering what exactly just happened there mm. and like just like you I went on the internet as well and was like googling what happened and then like it was one of the first movies I found out had like a whole micro mini microsite website mm. to like further delve into the story where you can find out more like they had like audio clips like book clips like articles that are all in the film universe and like that they was my like first the time going through official report yeah on the and stuff you could, uh, and like telephone calls between the, the like people go like yeah. trying to figure out what happened with the airplane that That's made one of my friends was furious about that he was like if you can't explain it in the film it doesn't count bullshit I was like, no, no loser talk send the universe it's all good <laughs> ARG whatever <laughs> yeah, exactly. no once you find out if the author says it's canon it's canon mm-hmm. exactly and like I think that the shapelessness of it it like the town of Middlesex is really cool. Like it's a, such a weird little space. I'm watching it again this um, today. Actually, I watched it this morning, um, and not having seen it since I was a teenager in my friend Helena's living room, and the two of us were like, you know, two inches away from the TV. Like, what the fuck is happening? I can't look away. And I remember leaving that experience, being like, I never want to think about that again. That made me feel sick. <laughs> that was a bad time for me. I just I, and it didn't make me feel sick in the way that a lot of other horror and stuff that I watched mm-hmm. as a ki- as a teenager was like, oh, I want to pull closer to this. It's more I, of like an unease. I genuinely did not understand what was happening. So watching it again this morning, I was like, I think I kind of I think I have a shape on what this is about now and what the I didn't watch the director's cut though. Did you guys watch? I watched it before. I don't. Um, like the d- director said it's not even a director's cut that it's more like a special edition because he says that the actual cut is like a-okay like no problem with it mm-hmm. but like if you do watch the director's cut I feel like it ruins it a bit more because it just kind of there's a lot more openly explaining the themes stuff. Yeah, right. and I like the mystery of it I like yeah. that like you don't understand it completely the first time around you have to go back and watch it again mm-hmm. and again and I love movies like that because yeah. like, I'm really big fan of like easter eggs and like finding the foreshadowing before it's happened and that kind of thing with tv shows as well there's a lot of detail in it though isn't there like there's in the way that so it is this this month basically in the lead up to this apocalypse and the one kind of really chill reading of it that I was like oh this is obviously about a teenage boy who is on antipsychotics and is losing his mind right there's your surface level mm-hmm. reading right is that he's been he had previously been involved in an arson yes. um, and he was treated with antipsychotics and that's 
and he's having some sort of a collapse around that. But there's a lot of other things in the world that would suggest that he's not as well. And um, I don't know. Uh, it's the world is very well put together because it's nineteen. It's set in 1988. 1988. Yeah, yeah. The which I love because I'm born really that particular. year. <laughs> oh yeah, me too. Yes. Mm. Um, and uh, the costumes are are really the school uniform is really. Um, I won't. I don't mean iconic. Like yes, iconic. I mean like it's very bold and very striking. And there are a lot of really particular visual choices made with it. Um, a lot of like cinematography, I suppose. You know. Yeah. Um, mm. That. Uh, I think make it a very dreamlike experience. I really love how it shot. It was like the first movie that I remember, like, because it was early 2000s and it was the first movie I could think of that was like a period movie of the 1980s, mm. apart from like The Wedding Singer. But like that really mm. captured it as well, especially with the soundtrack. I absolutely love oh, the soundtrack. soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. Really but, great soundtrack. Oh, completely. Like, and that's also why I don't like the director's cut um, because they change Echo and the Bunnymen out for In Excess for the opening track, which I'm oh. like, no, 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 no. It was no, good as it was. was. Perfect. Yeah. It was yeah. that is one of my favorite openings in film as well, like mm. him on the bicycle and um, Echo and the Bunnymen is going on in the background, Killing Moon, like mm. absolutely amazing. But I love the way like Patrick Swayze, um, who stars in it, he said he used his clothes from the 80s that he just had in his wardrobe as his <laughs> character. Oh, they were just there. He's like, he's despicable, man. Like he's, He it. plays a, uh, how would you describe him? Like He's like a self-help guru. Like mm. you think kind of like a Scientology person before Scientology was a thing of like telling people you can like everything is down to like your emotions and everything can be solved by you just like going the path of love instead of the path of fear. And like it was during that kind of new agey time in the 80s, which they were trying to capture that. And so like he's just going up on stage and telling people like how to live their lives, but like not not having a clue. And then he has a dark underbelly secret that is that um, Donnie finds out during the movie. And it's kind of like, is it a coincidence or is it all fate that's like bringing him on these paths to unravel the secrets that are meant that should be out in the open? Mm, That's actually a really good point that he has this he has this sort of sense of of fate and destiny you yes. know um which again th- one reading of it is that he's like not well at all and that's part of the delusions that he's going completely through. but equally he sure does uncover a pedophile <laughs> yeah. way, you know like so like he has some pretty powerful revelations in the community yeah it's really interesting how that kind of unravels because you kind of see like the mothers who are like really buying into it and they're just like mm. can't believe it even though they like uncover a kiddie porn dungeon as they put it in the movie. <laughs> what, a, what, a, what a set of words they oh, keep saying. Yeah. Like, and then they, even at one point one of the mothers like flinches and I'm like, yeah, it is gross. <laughs> it yeah. is, they, I think they intentionally are like pushing you and making you feel uncomfortable with it. Because you know? like you, do, you don't know who you're leaving your kids with when you find these kind of people that are like preaching and pretending to be a, a messiah or a kind of a prophet. Mm. There is like, a, you do see that kind of religion imagery pop up again and again through the movie as but well. But it never is overtly is religious, right? Exactly. Yeah. But in the director's cut, that's what happens. Oh, what a shame. Yeah. 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 There is also a scene where he's talking to his physics teacher and he's talking about like God's path and stuff. Yeah. Yes. Oh, the and time travel stuff, of course. Yeah. yeah. And the teacher's like, I can't talk to you about this anymore now that you've brought up God because I will get fired. Do you know what? That yeah. actually was I'd a say, really brilliant scene. Yeah. Uh, is that he is sit there. The teachers are all like a bunch of it is set in his school and it's in his in and out of school life. And he's kind of deeply alienated from his peers. His peers who are monstrous in the way that mm-hmm. in so much good horror, the greatest, like I feel like I think about this with Stephen King a lot, where the greatest monsters are the other children. Um, and um, the other school kids, including 
A very young Seth Rogen. Mm. His first film role. He's a monster. He's awful. <laughs> um, and he's very believable. You know. His friend, you won't believe who his friend is played by. Who? The guy with the mohawk and the moustache and the switched blade. He is the lead singer for Phantom Planet. Wow. That, oh, is, nice. that is a deep cut. That and is Jason most... Schwartzman was supposed to be Donnie Darko originally yes. as well. So. Oh my God. No, you can't unsee a Rushmore there, you know. No, you can't, you're, you're... you know what I read this morning that Mark Wahlberg was in the running for it, but, but he only wanted to do it with a list. Yeah, which what? is such a weird choice. What a weird Mark Wahlberg to do. I would have bought that. I think I would. That would have made sense for me. Gyllenhaal Hall is like, but Gyllenhaal Hall is is very intense, and he's very he's eighty percent eyeball. Completely. You know, mm. he has that sort of Elijah Wood paradox. You know, where it's just mostly <laughs> eyeball, and that intensity. Even though he does not look like a teenager, I feel like. I knew teenage boys like him. I sought them out. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, get, I get that. It was the kind of the slightly damaged vibe of kind of like in the slightly dangerous. I was like, oh, please, I can fix him. But he's big softy. He's got yeah. big soft, soft He hasn't eyes. fully grown into his body. He's no. yeah. like 19, 20 there, so yeah. Like when a dog is about nine months old. Oh, when their legs are longer. <laughs> yeah. Like, the, the, the weird, yeah. <laughs> Where they're just like, oh, you're kind of a dog. Yeah. But you're not really all the way there yet. You're mostly giant paw and eyeball. Mm-hmm. That's the sort of vibe he has. Um, and uh, though I do, I, I think in terms of him, is so yeah, it's, it's school is where it's at. So there's teachers that orbit around, including a, a very, um, I guess, interestingly, or the role Drew, Bar- Drew Barrymore plays is really funny and really interesting. The and English I, teacher, yeah. She's really antagonistic. Um, and uh, the stuff that happens in school some of it is deeply authentic, like a teacher looking him dead in the eye and being like, I cannot continue this conversation mm-hmm. with you. There were there are like flickers of the way adults normally handle teenagers when they're being unhinged. Yeah. And then flickers of camp, which is Drew Barrymore. Completely. You know. Love that like she helped produce this film as well and just I just really wanted her as my teacher because like my art teacher was kinda like that as well. Mm. That like she would be really not bitchy, but she just she had a jar on her table that said initiative. And whenever she wanted us to do anything, like, would you not just use your second initiative? And mm. just like she she hadn't she didn't suffer fools is the way I put it. Yeah, yeah. And I kind of love that about like Drew Bangmore's character when um, Jenna Malone's character, Gretchen, who I love mm. in this movie, comes in and she asks, where does she sit? She's like, sit next to the boy you think is the cutest. And I'm like, to have the brazen balls just to say that to someone. And then like you're literally double-edged sword you don't know what you would do in that situation like where do you sit you're fucked you're fucked yeah good luck enjoy your first day of school Gretchen yeah. see you later like yeah. on our friends last one to see they all found that scene quite cruel I did find it. Yeah, yeah. did you find that cruel as well I did mm, yeah okay like I also I, I like it as in terms of this school noirs like Heather's fucking break, jawbreaker jawbreaker school camp that is like peak bitchy school teacher if that yeah. was done to me I would be like no, bye, <laughs> see ya, I'm out. And as someone who has taught rooms of people, I'm just like, this is, could you imagine doing that to somebody? Do you know what I mean? But also within the kind of world of it, it makes sense. And she also gets fucking really fired. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. <laughs> she gets super fired <laughs> towards the end, you know? Um, yeah, and she's a, uh, she also delivers that lovely bit at, well, at the end of her tenure about the about cellar, cellar door, door which yeah. is really nice and again I can imagine that wrecking my head I remember that wrecking my head as a teenager being like cellar door language is really beautiful oh my god um, the Gretchen is somebody we just brought up there can you talk yeah. to us a bit about Gretchen who is this sort of like She's, I don't know you tell me how you feel about her first 
I well, like, I really like her character. Like it was my first time seeing Jenna Malone in a movie, and I love when she pops up anywhere now. But it was my first time I was aware of her. She's the new girl who's just arrived to school, and her and Donnie uh, spark up a relationship after he asks her when walking her home from school one day, "Do you want to go with me?" And the way I feel like that is one of the most genuine teenage um, mm-hmm. interactions it, yeah. because like, um, you want to go with me? And she's like, where do you want to go? Not, not under- moving to a new town, not understanding what the lingo is. And then just because you're the new person, like just latching onto someone as quickly as possible and going like, yeah, of course. Yeah. And now I have a boyfriend. So now I can be on my way to popularity. Mm-hmm. But the way they treat her character is interesting because like she's moved to a new town because she's in witness protection that she gives away very quickly, which I feel like I wouldn't if I was in that situation. That like her and her mum are running away from an abusive relationship from her stepdad and they're kind of hiding out. And she has this kind of odd pull about her that when something traumatic happens to her, she instantly wants to kiss Donnie or like touch Donnie, which is I'm like, interesting response. OK, cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and the more that the movie goes on, she kind of realizes that Donnie probably isn't like the most stable person to be around and starts distancing herself. But she al- he also stri- the first th- the first conversation they have with this sort of like nerve ending burning teenage honesty and again I feel like I see this sometimes and I feel like I probably went through stuff like this as a teenager as well or like witnessed people having these conversations that are so honest that I feel like it would take me six years to say those things to a person as an adult but teenagers have a you know even outside of the dramatic world of it teenagers are do say crazy shit to each other teenagers are just like hello here's the worst thing that's ever happened to me they're like burning like uh, flames of, of, of vulnerability, you know? So when we first meet Gretchen, the first thing she fucking says to him is just like, yeah, I'm new in town, I'm a witness protection. My dad fucking stabbed my mother and then disappeared. And I've got a cool new name. He had emotional issues. And, and Donnie's like, oh, I have emotional issues. I set a guy's house on fire and now I'm on antipsychotics. And she's like, okay, cool, normal world. Like, fine, right? <laughs> like, this is, that is fully almost exactly what the dialogue is, you know? I love the way he delivers the line. Oh my God, he has emotional I have those. <laughs> Me too. What does he have? And she's like, well, stab my mom. Stab my mother. Not the cute kind. Not no. the not the benevolent suburban arson kind. Anyway. No. Um. So yeah, their relationship is kind of uh, funny and underdeveloped and sweet at moments, I suppose. Yeah. But he's going through so through so much with Frank that like, how can he commit? Mm-hmm. How could he really commit? Well, know? like it's also because like it's happening over the movie's happening over twenty eight days and mm. like teenage relationships, like the length of time you're with the person like three days is a lifetime for teenagers so like being together with someone for two weeks and have never kissed would be a big deal so when he says it to her I'm kind of like wow two weeks that is a long time to wait for a kiss when you think about like when you're a teenager and you'd be like do you want to go around the back of the shelters and shift my my mate (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah. but like I love that (laughs) their first kiss is like he wants to kiss her and she's like uh, not right now. Why? Because I want to wait until like the world. It reminds me. It's how beautiful it is. Mm-mm. And there's a guy over there, a fat guy smoking a cigarette, who's staring at us. So maybe not having your first kiss in front of that person. Oh my god, lingering in the background. Yeah. Mm. One thing I did find kind of tricky. But again, this is also the time that it's out. It's something that I always feel when I look at even good cinema from that time is holy shit this film is unkind at certain times (laughs) not to be bringing my fucking morality sword down on old art but like woof there is some like flat racism in this film which you know performed by the bad guys it's not like but it's still there there's a lot of like weird language I don't is there any overt homophobia in it? I feel like there's probably a little, like there's a, like they use the F word. Yeah, there's teenage boys behaving awfully at all times. And they sort of try and frame Donnie as this sort of gentle savant who can see the injustice in different situations. But like, 
there's a lot of flinchy moments yeah. like that, that there's a lot of really uncomfortable early 2000s shit in it as well um and definitely like it is kind of a product of its time and mm. the writer who was 26 at the time like he wrote 26 wrote and directed who lets to jesus christ i know but no i, I mean that like both like oh that's kind of sad that that seems impossible now, you know, but yeah. also like how amazing to be 26 and get to do something so huge. But then you also have the fingerprints of it, this 26 year old fingerprints in yes. it that, that probably aren't very considerate or, or, or no, but whatever. again, I, through the lens of what, of what the world was like in the early 2000s, I'm not making excuses for racism or anything like that. Setting it in the 80s, like there is a yeah. kind of way of like with like you're setting a movie in a period. It's not it's not like Quentin Tarantino like throwing whatever language he wants all over Certainly. the place. Yeah, yeah. It's more just kind of like yeah, kids are absolute shits, and they like just they think they're being hard by like using those words. And yeah. I think that's more authentic than like Stranger Things. Like they're going like oh golly gee whiz the whole time. That's actually a really good point because I think aesthetically there is some kind of DNA shared between Danny Darko and Stranger mm-hmm. Things. Completely, you know. But there is more darkness and like also authenticity i think to a lot of how because teenagers are again like i said they're frightening and when the teenage boys in donnie's ear are bullying the asian girl or are bullying gretchen and being quite sexually violent to Mm. her or the the language that they use that feels flinchy and bad that's also how teenager teenagers behave then and um it it adds to the hostility of the world yeah you know it's it's gross and unkind and like it's a it's more kind of like Teenagers are like expected to act like adults, but still in the eyes of adults, they're just children. So it is that kind of like the whole coming of age thing, obviously, Mm. Um, that weird time where it's like you're expected to be two things at once and you don't know which version of yourself to be to everybody. Yeah. And I think that covers a lot of it in the movie, especially like the health class scenes with um, Mrs. Farmer, the kind of like the love and fear lifeline of like trying like trying to see the world through a teenager's eyes of like everything does not go into those two categories like so Johnny's like during this um weird class they are expected to put um everything in one line of like these they're given these scenarios there's a line on the board that says fear and love and they're kind of like morality questions mm. and they're expected to put an x on the line of where they think it falls on the line but they're very great gray questions and Johnny picks up on this and decides this entire exercise is bullshit because not the entire spectrum of human emotion falls on it and I get a really good point because like he is that kind of like emotional swan that like he does see through the bullshit and he's not afraid to tell the teacher and call them on it and get in trouble for it Mm -hmm. and like he's in and also interestingly he's in therapy yes which is there's some really fantastic scenes with that like really unsettling shit with that yeah oh my god like it was the first time in the movie I've seen like therapy depicted for a teenager because like it wasn't wasn't really ta- talked about when I was a teenager like I think I knew oh, one person course. in it yeah I don't think I knew anybody now I know everyone's in therapy yeah, it's, it's like great. of course yeah like people need to talk about their shit <laughs> but at the, yeah the when he's talking to a therapist um you can really get to the heart of like he is like obviously mentally unwell and him just trying to like figure that stuff out and the therapist is very just reassuring I really love her character and she just genuinely wants to help him. But I feel like one of the most heartbreaking scenes is when the parents come in to have a discussion about his progress. And like you can visibly see the mother getting more and more emotionally like just upset when she says that like he's getting worse. We need to medicate him more. And the mother is just like shaking and almost being like trying to keep it together. And it's like, yeah, if you think that's going to work, then let's try. Yeah, that is actually was, really sad. More medication. More medication. Like, more, wow. You know. Yeah, let's dope him to the gills. Like that's real, and it doesn't, and it obviously 
doesn't stop what's happening. No, I really love happening. the mother as a character. Yeah. Mary McDonald's just incredible. She's fantastic. She's so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's an, she's really funny as well. She yeah. drinks a lot, actually, in the film. There's <laughs> that scene where they're like, she's showing off the renovation to her friend and she stops and open and like goes, ta-da, and pauses with her glass and complimented. <laughs> and then the friend just starts talking about Jim Connium again. Yeah. And she's like, oh. And so that's like, like I read from his book and I just yeah. like realize I am a prisoner of my emotions. <laughs> Mary McDonald said that she wanted her character. She thought her character would be a bit of a lush. So she mm. does have a wine glass in it's every scene. Perfect prop. Yeah, I, it's a brilliant prop. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you are that like, again, that's that sort of dream 80s life, isn't it? They do have it like that big suburban home, two daughters, including Maggie Gyllenhaal. Fabulous. Love. Fabulous. Love to see a Maggie Gyllenhaal knocking around. Love an appropriate sibling casting. And the little sister, whose name is... Samantha. Samantha, she's great fun. Almost played by Mara Wilson. Whoa, mm. whoa. Turned it down. Yeah, she got freaked out by the script and was like, no. It's a very frightening script, mm. yeah, to yeah. be fair. And like, uh, that they have a big house and it's all very... Again, it's that suburban lushness, lushness that's corrupted. It's that like David Lynch thing of like the, the poison under the belly of American suburbia. But I think it's handled... I won't say it's handled lightly necessarily, but I also don't think it's incredibly blunt. It's too dreamy to be blunt. Yeah. Like we're sitting here talking about what it's about and picking it apart. But I think that while it is a story about the poisons of suburbia and one, like you said, like savant type young fella who's able to cut through it and is sort of moving at a remove through the culture that he's in while also being kind of guided by this horrible funny funny rabbit uh, really <laughs> just a we're really getting down to the nitty gritty of like yeah the themes the emotions <laughs> but then there's also like the giant rabbit he's learning about time travel from a giant bunny rabbit and the world is about to end or is it like right so that's yeah. also the big so on the conspiracy on the in terms of how you read the text right so we've done we've done the here's the social commentary bit mm-hmm. what but do you think it's actually more about time travel than it is about like wh- how do you think it works I'm <laughs> yeah <laughs> This is where like, I've, I've gone through like a many and late night party talking about this movie with people like over the years. And it's like, is it about the search for God or is it about like, like they talk about tangent universes that like he's in like a different timeline and he needs to jump back to the right timeline. The Garden of Forking Paths. That's what that is. Love that shit. Yeah, yeah. Who, Moving between different oh, versions. Yeah. It's of, like Mandela effect. Like don't even yeah, get me started about those people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like moving between loops and versions of events and things splintering off yeah the kind of like is a pre like them predestination kind of like is everything a set path or can you change your destiny in your future but like if you follow the path that you want to follow which you think is the one that you're supposed to be following that like you're supposed to be like no i can see that my path is going this way but if I just go this way, I think I'll have a better time. And he, he th- I, what I like about it is the, and some of the most interesting visual horror is the manifestation of the path, which is, comes out of a portal in his chest. Yeah. And literally moves through the rooms that he's in like a ghost. Yeah. And that, those distortions are really fabulous. Like it's some of the really light hand. It's not meant to be impressive visual effects. It's just quite haunting to see. Yeah. Like it's just, it's, it's a really interesting effect of this sort of, path that he is to follow that comes out of his body that sort of leads him through his life it's I really, really great. feel like the music makes that scene work really well because like I mm. when you see that scene like remastered now with like the the VFX is a little bit janky but it kind of looks like a big but like almost like when you're blowing a bubble in yeah, a, yeah. a bubble wand and like it's just kind of pushing through and that kind of wiggliness but like it's just you wonder like when he follows that path and he at one point finds a gun 
Um, it leads him directly directly to a gun gun. and it's like okay did he actually know that that was there and he's just kind of sleepwalking towards being reminded of it or is it it's the whole thing is like is he being is he going mad or is he being directed by a force for Mm, good nature and nurture yeah yeah yeah. and like yeah because like it all fits together in in the end yeah ostensibly is that i think in a very in crayola colors there is a wormhole that opens over his house the airplane engine falls through the wormhole into his bedroom, either killing him or not. Mm. We get one universe in which it doesn't kill him. And then there's this sort of countdown to everything resetting, the wormhole the wormhole opening again uh, and starting over. The plane, is, the plane that it falls off of is one which contains his sister and his, and his mother, mother. Yeah. later on. And it flies through a wormhole which breaks the loop of time. Uh, so we end the story in a universe in which Donnie is in his bedroom when the when plane the plane falls, falls down. And he has never met Gretchen. He's never met like the thing the 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 fire never happens in the pedophile's house. Like Grandma death. Yeah, there's not grandma death. Like there's all of these bits and pieces that happen in those 30 days, none of which are particularly pleasant, by the way. It's not like everyone has a jolly good time. (laughs) But all of the impact that he has on his community are erased immediately at the end of the story as the wormhole closes and the loop ends, I think. Yes, I think it's... Yeah, because it's... Because he's following one path in the tangent universe, as they call it, and because the main universe is the one that's like comes back at the end where the one where he was supposed to die in a kind of final destination way that like death has to come find him. It's, it's sad that he he doesn't get to meet Gretchen, but like at the end, because she dies in like three quarters of the way through the movie and he goes and he realizes that if he can reset time, maybe he can save her. And he's just realizing that like the world is better off without dies me. Dies at the hands of those horrendous, scary other dudes, right? So yeah. like the, the great horror is the teenage boy. Like, the great horror know. is the teenage boy. That scene is just so upsetting. So upsetting. <laughs> like, it's, it's so upsetting. Like you can you can walk around in a hideous grey skeletal rabbit suit all you want, but there is nothing more frightening than teenage, teenage boys. boys. I will run away from a group of them if they're coming towards me because yeah, you suck. don't know what they're doing. Sorry, Al. No, it's <laughs> uh, um, It's very very frightening, and Donnie is sort of left quite literally with blood on his hands out of the situation, and there's yeah. this moment of like oh can i can i undo this completely know? yeah because like he mar- coming back to religious imagery he makes a martyr of himself to save other people yeah, so yeah. then is he jesus is, is he the other is, thing. He a, is he a christ figure yeah yeah, yeah. um ugh, it's gross um who, alan who do you think why do you think frank is what are your thoughts why do i think frank is but, no both what and why <laughs> <laughs> okay so you can say that frank is like an, an angel Okay, good right. reading. Didn't mm-hmm. didn't see that yeah. coming. Okay, yeah, that yeah. He's like God's yeah. emissary directing Donnie to close the the Tangent mm-hmm. universe. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. Um, and but he'll also be destroyed by the closing of the Tangent universe because Frank no longer dies. So that that Frank does not exist anymore. Okay. Fuck. Yeah. So I always I'm always interested in like things where like pocket universes or Tangent universes. I think your books have been a little bit of a pocket universe thing going on. They do. Yeah. Um. But one of that just is, shouldn't exist, so it's tearing itself apart. Yeah. And the further and further Donnie drives that universe from the main timeline, it's driving inevitably to destroy itself. Oh, my gosh. And Frank is, I guess, God's way of making sure that happens. Yeah, he's sent down to close, yeah, yeah. To, he sent down to close that pocket. Yeah. Fuck. Mm. Well, that's, that's good. See, that's the reading of it. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, <laughs> my good. friend said, he was like, I was like, I don't understand the ending. He was like, well, Donnie learns to time travel. I was like, 
that's part of it but there's so he's much not, more he's not fucking Doctor Who lads yeah. he's yeah. not just kind of like mince off through the fucking wor- wormhole the fact that like the thing that closes the loop is a thing that only exists because of the loop yes. is what always throws me you can't quite circle the square on it perfectly because the engine has is has there there's an yeah, original yeah. engine somewhere you know yeah so I'm not sure it's meant to make sense no fully no and I like that I like that yeah. grittiness and that sense of it like it's what I like about the OA which also deals with the mm-hmm. forking paths kind of theory of like it's on my watch list yeah, I still haven't gotten to it love it it's <laughs> like one of these it's, it's I like, feel like I love juvenile propaganda <laughs> it's like it's really good well, um, considering your propaganda worked on me a few weeks ago I got like two Linda Barry books in the post and kind of like <laughs> Lena Barry's amazing, so good. And, oh wait, no, I definitely watched Hellraiser because of Juvenalia um, propaganda as well. Excellent. Um, oh, Hellraiser's great. There's actually a brilliant episode of the Random Horror Generator podcast about Hellraiser as well, which is much meaner to it than we were. <laughs> oh, brilliant! <laughs> it's brilliant, fond, but also it's 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 a camp classic mm. as well. Um, I feel really sick now that I think about uh, Frank as an angel, and I think that's a really solid. Like that feels right to me but I don't think all of it needs to line up I think there no. has I think the messiness and the like it, it, it doesn't it do, not every it doesn't dovetail neatly it's mm. kind of uh, all like smudged mm. it used to have compared unfavorably people used to say it was like like kind of starker David Lynch which mm-hmm. I don't really see Mulholland Drive at the time but now that I've actually watched Twin Peaks I go yeah, the way scenes kind of fade out. Some of the dialogue is kind of stilted once you're tuned into that Twin Peaksy way of people talking mm-hmm. to each other. Yeah. So I think it's. I feel like. Operating it's, in, in I mean, I love all those things. things. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I feel like it's a cousin of Twin Peaks, and I feel mm. like again, looking at suburbia, the very particular costuming, but it's very like the, there's a very particular color palette to this as well. It's very gray, blue, mm. white. Like it's not a dazzling no feature. There's no burning like I mean I've burning off it it's cold film. yeah mm-hmm. for an 80s movie there's no neon as well it's no. very subdued palette and even when you have that sort of the camp 80s sequence of the what, what's the girl group called again the sparkle the motion sparkle motion <laughs> yeah. dancing that's all in silver so that mm. maintains this kind of chilly vibe you know it's a whereas everything in Twin Peaks is fire everything is mm-hmm. fire everything yeah. kind of comes back to red and um I can see how the dialogue feels like a little bit like the reason that Lynch's dialogue is like that is because Twin Peaks is a soap opera mm-hmm. and like it has it, it has more in common with something like Dynasty do you know what I mean than anything else it's very it's all very high Ca- camp is the word I keep going back yes. to I don't think Donnie Darko is fucking camp it has know? elements of it moments but overall it's pretty straight faced the, like the, um, the kind of like montages of like when the school is flooded by Donnie mm. um, in his sleep um, the next day and like it's kind of like the conversations the students are having because the, fl- the school is flooded and the, do- the day is done they're like oh um, we can't go to school today why mum said the school is flooded it said they have feces feces all over the boy in the boys room they're like what are feces baby mice baby mice <laughs> Love. There is silliness. In there is it. silliness, it's and there's bits of levity. Film. I remember yeah. laughing a lot the first time I saw it. Like yeah. um, the conversation and the first, like the first bit of dialogue in the movie is like Maggie Gyllenhaal going like, "I'm voting for Dukakis," which mm. is like the presidential campaign is happening in the oh, background. Yeah, yeah. And they have that amazing uh, lines of calling each other's names when Donnie like blurts out, "You're such a fuck ass," which is <laughs> fuck ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so little, good. I absolutely love that conversation. It's like I still use like terms like that to this day, but only with the people who I know have watched the movie because otherwise they're like, why are you making what? up swears? That's like, a I don't horrible understand word. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Real good though. But I think that's also closer to how people talk. Yeah. Than nobody in, fo- nobody in the world fucking talks like anybody in Twin Peaks. Like it's all very, 
it's it's up here it's way way up here it's not organic dialogue at all where there's some and i think that might be the trick of donnie darko is there are moments where it just feels fucking normal yeah mm-hmm. It just feels really normal sometimes. Like the, when they're shooting um, the pelicans against the bottles. Oh, the Smurfs conversation. The Smurfs conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know, when you have these moments where you're just like, that's, I really, like, you know, they're like figuring it out that I, Donnie just turning around with the gun in his hand and being like, Papa Smurf didn't create the Smurfs. <laughs> Gargamel created the Smurfs. I was like, I've been that person so many times. I have been I, that I person. Can't stand, I'm sick of myself. You know, I watched that and I was like, oh no. Standing there and having a very serious conversation mm-hmm. with people like, that is not how that works. You're yeah, she's a nagging in this hand or not. Does he have a nagging? Yeah. Oh my yes. God. And I love that they're drinking <laughs> naggins because I'm like, yeah. yes, I have never you seen an American TV a teenager drinking a nagging. You mm-hmm. don't see them drinking naggins. I think I, I remember living there and trying to explain what a nagging was. <laughs> like the word comes from nagin, little cup. I did not know that. So that's why it's called a nagging. I don't know why a shoulder is called a shoulder. If anyone would like to explain to me why a shoulder is called a shoulder. There's a slope on the... Because like the leggy looks like has shoulders on the neck. Their measurements are different. You know, the things their teenagers drink are not the same. And I don't think that they drink as much as when they're that... Maybe they do uh, when they're as young. They seem to have easier access to kegs than we do. Yeah, Yeah, they're beer drinkers. And their beers. Or 40s, which are, do you know what, very useful if you're drinking in the park. A 40 is actually the perfect amount of beer for an afternoon in the park. I've never had a 40. They're big... I know what they look like, yeah, but, but malt liquor, I'm always like, what exactly no, is malt? You can get like a beer, Bucky, like, like beer I'm, sized 40, yeah. you know, malt yeah. liquor, absolutely not though, no. not these days. No, but naggins in a field, definitely mm-hmm. the teenage thing. So it was not, yeah, that is true. It's nice to see an American teenager yeah. partaking in the Irish way of growing up, you yeah. know. Um, Bush drinking. Which is rare, rare enough. That felt, those scenes outside the the suburbs felt nice, well, not nice, nice is the wrong word, but they felt genuine. Yeah organic to me which is really good um it's a it's such a weird i mean i feel like saying it's such a weird movie is a real undersell but it still (laughs) does feel weird it hasn't been cheapened by time there aren't a lot of imitators even if it is moving in this kind of lynchy way Mm -hmm. using a different set of instruments but still playing a a similar song it's it's still a coming of age movie that's like harking back to 80s movies because you mm. can tell because he was 26 in 2000 and whatever time it was that like he obviously grew up with like E.T. and Stand By Me and those kind of movies and you can see elements of those coming through his film oh they're throwing, definitely... they're throwing like a kids on bikes section exactly yeah, it's, it's, it's a compl- classic yeah, yeah. Spielberg scene and yeah. like you can tell his influences are there and he paints them on his sleeve throughout the movie which I, lo- I love when a filmmaker openly does that mm. and doesn't make it in a ridiculously crass way um, I love because those little bits they really Reminds you of watching those 80 movies, eighties movies, and it's almost like seeing the eighties through the lens of someone who's just watched eighties movies, and mm. like, but like everyone has, so that's more real to people who think of the eighties now than the people who lived in the eighties. I mean, the we're chain. further away from Donnie Darko than Donnie Darko was from nineteen eighty eight at this point. Oh, when and I don't turned do it on that. last night. Thank you so much for telling me. I know, that sorry one. about that. Thanks. Um, Thank it, you like, for it, it did literally. <laughs> if, if you just showed someone and said this is nineteen eighty eight, they would have no reason to disbelieve you except maybe the fact that you recognise Noah Wiley. Yeah. That's probably yeah. it, like, from ER. Wow. Uh, yeah, oh, Kerry said that. So I was like, oh, and I was like, I'm the only person who's watched ER, but it was his first thing to be like, oh, he's in ER. I was like, Jesus like I didn't watch ER, and I knew he was from ER. Yeah. <sighs> oh, I live in a pocket, uh, pocket <laughs> universe. Um, that is really spooky, though, that it's that long ago, isn't it? Like, it's that true how just... little away from 1988 it was when it came out. Yeah. Yeah. It's like someone making... What a weird year to choose, then. A film set in 2009 now. 
Whoa. Oh, don't say that. Yeah. They will. They will. They will. Oh yeah. God, like height of hip, hipsterdom and indie sleeve. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the with the little skinny headbands. And yeah. The New rave. Layers. Oh God, New no. Rave. Antics and wheelings. Oh, no. Look, Let's not go back. Amnesty for all of us. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it was a different time. Um, I worked in Urban Outfitters uh, for a Same. few months during that time. Whoa, in Temple Bar. No, the one in San Francisco when I was in J One. Whoa, God, mercy. That's harder than the one yeah. in Temple Bar. Fucking hell. I only worked the changing rooms. Thank God. That's it so was... weird. I know exactly where that is. I was only there a few months ago. It's still oh. still kicking. Oh my like, God. Oh, yeah, um, fuck, that is a different time. But I remember that roar of new rave and being like, "This is, this sure is something." Yeah, the, my, the first glory days of MySpace. So somebody will eventually write a kind of a cosmic horror about those about mm. those years. Uh, it's coming. Someone's ri- writing it as we speak. Guarantee just, it. And I think again, then, do you know what? The other power of this is that there's no smartphones, no cameras, nobody's yes. recording, and you can almost kind of watching it today feel the specter of what a smartphone would be doing. Oh, it ruin In it. those scenes, mm. you know, or like what? It would completely ruin it. It would puncture all the tension. It would puncture all the romance. It would puncture the horror, right? But like, Donnie does have a curiosity about what the fuck is happening to him, which is mm-hmm. a bit delirious. Yeah. But he doesn't quite have the same razor sharp demand to understand what's going on. I think he's got a willingness to just be like, well, this is just happening. And I just am accepting it. Whereas you wonder today, would he be on Reddit and 4chan like looking it mm. up? Bingo. Like he does do research, but it's more like holistic kind of research. It's not like, okay, guys, let me tell you what's happening to me. Like storytelling now often feels very expositiony and very like urgent in that way. Like I need to tell you exactly what's going on so we can go and find this fucking rabbit. Frank, fuck that guy. <laughs> like, can you hear that version of that film? Do you know? Can you yeah. see that version of it? Whereas there's a sort of like a he sits down and see the school is flooded and he's like, so that just happened. Oh my god, guys! Yeah, <laughs> like that that tone yeah. in in so much of modern cinema is really. I feel like we're gonna look back on it culturally and be like, Jesus fucking Christ! If I hear another quip in a movie, I'm just like, nobody has to have a catchphrase every two oh, seconds. No, just let the scene breathe. Like, Which I think the movie this movie does beautifully. Just like there's silences and it just makes sense because the music's there like humming in the background but like people are okay to just like have a pause and not be like we're going to go do the thing and do the thing and do the thing it's just like no let's just have a nice little segue of them just like in slow motion jumping on a trampoline because like that's what's happening right now yeah atmospheric built yeah and he does do research and he is trying to figure things out but like the tone is it's very hard to find uh, if I was a proper movie person I'd probably know exactly how to describe this but there is something in the slowness of his unravelling that is of that time it's really hard to show that now right yeah. I think you know if that makes sense I feel like it's a it belongs to a particular time in technology that the internet doesn't allow you that slow unpacking yeah. The kind of more, yeah, because it's in more analog time. Books and looking for comparisons and asking, showing a book to a teacher and being mm-hmm. like, I think this is happening to me. There's a much sharper route to uh, the destruction of a mystery with the internet. Yeah. Like we very fondly call the phone in the house the wonder killer while we sit there oh, and try yeah. to think of celebrities' names or remember something, you know, like I'll just ask the wonder killer. But like in storytelling and in cinema, it is that. And like also a loner teenage boy like Jake Gyllenhaal who has a history of setting shit on fire mm-hmm. absolutely not a sympathetic protagonist in contemporary cinema nope. in fact sus like yeah you know? like would he be like an incel kind of character like in today's standards like, right so his, even his approach to Gretchen is so yeah. blunt like 
it didn't make him unsympathetic to me at all. Mm. Like it, 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 awkward it, teenager. It felt quite earnest, it, and especially contrasted with like the menace of the other teenage boys, which also feels like it's of its job. Well, mm-hmm. no, maybe it's well, no, they're not. being di- like it's very immortal. firmly they firmly confirmed that they are dicks. They are bullies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and people killers in the end. Yes, <laughs> literal yeah. murderers. Um, but I think that he is a protagonist who would be hard to make sympathetic. Yeah, because we learned in the therapy sessions that he has a history of being obsessed with sex. Yes, yeah. And also possibly a history of imaginary friends as well. Yeah. Yeah. Because she has asked him when he says he's a new friend whether it's real or imaginary. Right. So there, there might be a, a previous Frank that we don't know about as well. He what also I... fucking set a house on fire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he set a house on fire. Well, he does by accident that he does that. That he... Yeah, yeah. But um, that's my favorite meme. It's like, did you? Um, I made a new friend today. Real or uh, real or podcast host? And it's like, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I like podcast host every time. Yeah. Oh my god! So yeah, that's the like that's what I like about going back to, I guess, films from this time. It was the last time that stories like this could exist because no phones and no internet. Yeah, just before. I think that's why people are like, why Stranger Things would be was such a big thing. It's like, let's have them set in the eighties. Every t- movie that's like, let's set it in his period before phones, before the internet, because otherwise, like, everyone's going to be on Google straight away. Which is, it's really interesting now seeing movies that are embracing technology in horror. Like, I can't wait to watch Let's All Go to the World's Fair. Oh, yeah, I've heard that's amazing. I've heard I've it's heard amazing. Great stuff about but it. But it's about being on the internet and, mm. th- like, through the internet. I think you, yeah, I have to embrace it or completely get rid of it altogether because, like, ignoring it completely... You can't if it's in a modern context, so you have to put it in a period before it existed. You're right. And I think we're, the internet is so new that we're only learning its folklore now. We're only learning the monsters. The monsters of the internet are people. Mm-hmm. Ta-da! But <laughs> the internet is only developing its own folklore now. Yeah. Right? So, like, me and Kerry have been wicked obsessed with Creepypasta for many, many years, like most people are today. But, like, I remember clearly the two of us only starting to go out and sitting up in his bed and watching weird videos on YouTube, weird, like, glitchy Salad shit. Fingers. and the, mm-hmm. But after that... The original Slenderman videos. The original oh, Slenderman videos. Yeah. The... the Majora's Mask glitches glitch oh, series yeah. that, which is like 10 years ago now which is mm. really or 9 years ago which is well no near 10 actually gross hate that um, <laughs> but like trying to one, trying to figure out when a new landscape like the internet is it's a new country uninhabited largely at first and then people come there and people gather there and they start developing folk tales and they start having frightening experiences and they start finding explanations for those frightening experiences and they start making shit up to scare each other and out of that like any set of folklore creatures are solidified yeah. you know like you have any culture has its monsters and creep Irish banshee like the, the Leshy from Slavic uh, mythology like the Wendigo like all the different Amer- the various American creatures the ev- everywhere Chupacabra, has all those Chupacabra ones. everywhere has its cre- every landscape has the creatures that people have made from it and the internet has creatures as well but only now are they identifiable obviously Sanderman is the king of them and given that there are two girls who are still in prison for enacting mm-hmm. his will yeah. like you know that's a real thing yeah. and um those monster stories haven't taken a firm enough foothold in culture, I think, yet for us to be able to coherently tell stories about them in a way that feels really scary. Yeah. Uh, but I think we're getting there. I think we're getting there. And it's the same thing with 
the getting to understand the 1980s because like obviously there's more movies about it set in the 1980s now because we have a firm understanding of what that is whereas I felt like this was like the first one of the first movies where I thought like this is really capturing a time but before like well before it's time like mm-hmm. it shouldn't it's like 20 years like with, between the like he's telling a story that was supposed to just be 20 years ago it's like I don't want to be telling a, move, a story about like 2001 2002 yeah. the shit time yeah like, well, then, time to shit time when you look back on it. <laughs> yeah, but it's also the dawn of the internet. So, yes. or, or the, the internet as we know it. So maybe the people who will tell those stories are now only kids. Yeah. So they will hear about it in a folkloric way and then they will grow up to tell those stories. Like we aren't equipped nearly because we watched it all happen in real time. So we can't really, well, maybe that's why we are equipped. I think maybe because like the, t- the kids today who grew up with the internet from the get-go, like Generation Alpha or whatever they're calling the oh, ones yeah. after Gen Z. The digital natives. They only know a world of the internet. Whereas we, it came about like when we were like in our teens, like like I remember a time with, when we still had the phone and then like the internet came in and it was just literally just chat rooms and like Amazon for buying books and that was it. And then just like it growing over time. And I feel like because we still remember the world before that, we're, we're not going to be able to tell that story yet. That is the next generation who've grown up mm. completely immersed in it. Mm. And so that's where that's where the Donnie Darko thing happens. It's told in a very particular 80s yeah. through a very particular lens that's also informed by like other cinema and other horror from that time. Though, yeah. is it a horror film? Some people would kind of argue it, like, it's a weird one because it's unsettling and like... <laughs> upsetting like it's a bad time yeah Mm. and like they do like make reference to multiple horror movies in it like they make references to Stephen King the mum's reading it like on on the lounger they go see the evil dead which Sam Ramey gave for free he's like yeah work away like put that up on screen good man absolute legend and like yeah there are elements of horror and it's set at Halloween but I feel like it's like it's a movie set around horror themes but I don't see it as a horror movie Mm. what do you think Al? I think it's definitely unsettling yeah, I wouldn't say it's like setting out to actually scare you at any point. Like a couple of little jumpy minutes. It's a bit Frank. where Donnie is trying to like stab through Frank's shield mm. in the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. And it's just cutting back and forth between them is probably the most unsettling bit of the film. But yeah. I, don't think, I wouldn't say there's no real gore. There's no real jump scares really either. Mm. I would say, but it leaves you with like residual upsetness. Yeah, mm. yeah. yeah. The fa- the feeling that I left. I remember seeing. Um, Lost Highway in the cinema mm. and uh, I saw it in the IFI and I left and I was like uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm really upset <laughs> I don't really yeah. know how to another film that makes use of very upsetting rabbit costumes weirdly um, was really fucking distressed by it and I think this gives me a very similar feeling of just this distrust it it has a great mm. power in that it kind of shifts reality a little bit it makes yeah. you a little bit more curious it makes you a little bit more suspicious it is not an easy watch i would say i, I watch it a, I, I watch it a lot <laughs> <laughs> no but like i for the for the person who hasn't watched it i am um, they wouldn't I'd, I'd hesitate to say someone would like leap back in really willingly to watch it again straight away but like if they went away and like had more questions and came back to it but like I, I love a lot of horror and disturbing movies, so I'm just kind of desensitized, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> ruined, ruined by them. <laughs> so, any parting notes? I guess. Um, it's aged interestingly. I still enjoy the film. I try to watch it like every October. Like mm. the day, the times when I put it on, I'm like, hey, that's the date today. Oh, yeah, you can see because it interrupts with every, it, it is punctuated with these like the like countdown two sequences. weeks to go, yeah. 10 hours to go. Yeah, Oof. I just want Maggie Gyllenhaal's Halloween costume. That's what I want. She's fabulous, isn't she? 
is great. What do you yeah. think, Al? Any last thoughts? Um, I read a brief history of time because of Donnie Darko. Oh my god! That's what, I, and I, like, there's only things I got from that book that I realized are not common knowledge is because I read a brief history of time because of Donnie Darko because it's in that, ah. and I wanted to understand it better. <laughs> so I now I understand how gravity works. Excellent. Because ah. of Donnie Darko, and so I got set a door from Donnie Darko, and yeah. I doubt Which is J.R.R. Tolkien, not Edgar Allan Poe. Ah. Yeah, I it. I internalized a lot of that film. Like I said, it became my personality. I, I bought the DVD, bought the director's cut, bought the book. My roommate had a Donnie Darko tattoo. Wow. The rap, he had Frank's head. Wow. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So it was a big part of my college life. It's hard to think back on that without thinking of a Donnie Darko DVD somewhere in my mind's eye, you know? That's lovely. Yeah. What about you, sir? Um, I will watch it again this month. Um, I think it's a really interesting coming of age story yeah i think it is a the first time i've looked at a teenage boy protagonist in a long time and been like compelled by them and i think a lot of that is again down to the fact that jake gyllenhaal is a 90 percent eyeball yeah um he's really compelling and really heartbreaking and i think it's something that's going to yield more every time i watch it in future um i look back to being a teenage girl and watching it and being frightened by it and i think in honesty I don't think I was smart enough to follow it. I don't think I had enough, like, I, I, not that I wasn't paying attention, but I don't think I understood it. And the not understanding it was part of the joy and part of the thrill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love, now I f- you saying that thing to me about, the, about Frank being this angel who's sent to close a unit of time, a tiny universe, that has reframed it for me in a really nice way. So when I go back again, I'll read Frank's presence in a different way. You know, so I think that it's it's like a puzzle box that you can keep turning over and over. And those are really what the best stories are, aren't they? Definitely. You know, I love something. We can go back and find something new every time. Yeah. 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 A film where you think you have it all, but if you move your head slightly, some of it might fall out. And you can't keep all of it in your head at once. You yeah. know, yeah. you know, you know what the whole thing is. About. You can't oh, actually yeah. articulate all of it in the same thought. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I know what's going on here. And yeah. that's a really nice feeling mm-hmm. is not totally understanding. Yeah. And that's, I don't know, more of that. Yeah, definitely. Megan Highland, no one can doubt your commitment to Sparkle Motion. Please <laughs> plug your stuff. Um, you can find me on Instagram at, at Meg Highland. You can find me on Twitter replying to everyone and giving wonderful cheerleader encouragement at, at Megan Highland yeah. because they won't give me the Meg Highland Twitter Boo. handle I've asked. And you can buy my, uh, you can actually buy a Sparkle Motion screen print off my website at <sighs> MeganHighland.com. Just look for the shop link. But uh, yeah, nice. there we go. Sarah, what about you? Oh, I'm in my house. Um, I'm at Grifsky on Twitter. I'm at Sarah Grifsky on both the Clock app and Instagram. My books, Spare and Found Parts and Other Words for Smoke, are available in all good bookstores. More news soon. Ellipses. <laughs> How about you, Al? Uh, I'm Alan underscore McGuire everywhere. Juvenalia is Juvenalia underscore pod on Twitter, Juvenalia pod on Instagram. We have a Patreon where we talk about what we started and finished. And can recently, I, can I just our, say our last episode, our second, uh, the episode before the Hoax Pokes episode, our cozy autumn warmer vibe 
like our, vi- our autumnal vibe check episode got some incredibly kind feedback from lots of people mm, and i found that really fucking moving i was getting texts and messages from people being like oh that was such a good time and i was like what thank you so if you enjoyed that episode and you like listening to me and i'll talk in granular detail about things that make us happy you should subscribe to our patreon it's a couple of quid it goes an awful long way we appreciate it a huge amount and it helps us do a lot of different things and pretty fucking regularly you will get an episode just like that autumn warmer episode where it's just me and Al talking about things that we've started and finished um in the last couple of weeks we have beers sometimes we play each other songs off our phones (laughs) (laughs) um it's always a really nice time so if you enjoyed that one please subscribe for more yeah. Uh, so also thank you Dee McDonald for our artwork thanks Dee and thank you to Cassie and Tall Tales thanks for Cassie us. Woo. and <laughs> we'll see you next week for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre with Sophie White Whoa. bye everybody bye, bye. <laughs>